Let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Father, we give all praise and honor to You. It is Your glory we desire to proclaim and to reflect. We are grateful for Your faithful provision. Make our tongues to profess Your greatness. Stir our souls that we may delight only in You. You are good. You are kind. You are generous beyond description. We rejoice in Your great name. Lord, help us to make You known in this dark world. May Your righteousness reflect and shine brilliantly through us that all may see and know who You are. Today, Lord, we ponder Your astounding love. It is easy to speak of love without true understanding. We can see and taste genuine love only by gazing upon You. Help us. Lord, enable us to marinate in Your character and in Your ways. Eliminate distractions and obstacles from our view. Give us eyes to see You clearly. To know You better. To worship You truly. We ask that You remind us today of Your incredible dealings. Lead us to drink in Your thirst-quenching love. May we rehearse Your liberating forgiveness. Lord, I pray for those who have never experienced Your saving grace, that today may be the day You remove the shackles, that You draw them to Yourself and regenerate their fallen hearts. For those who profess to know You and follow You, send Your love and forgiveness deeper into our souls. Make us fruitful reflections of Your love and forgiveness. Lord, we pray, we plead that today You might animate our worship, that we might be pleasing to You. Make it so, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Psalm 103. I know what you're thinking. This is hardly an Advent passage. It's hardly a Christmas message. But I beg to differ. It's an incredible passage about the love of God. We are thinking about the love of God. In our Advent emphasis, we are focused upon God's love. What better time through His greatest display of His love than at the Advent season? Derek Kidner says about this psalm that it is admiring gratitude, shining through every line of this hymn to the God of all grace. And the theme running through it faithfully is God's love. Four times we are reminded about His steadfast love or His covenant love. His unconditional love for His people. Most of us are familiar with that infamous verse, John 3.16, that says, For God so loved the world that He what? He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
But did you know that 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love? It's not just a verb, but He is love. The very essence of God is love. David wants us to know just how great God's love is. And this psalm, I think, is about that and the response that it compels in His people. The proper response to God's great love is always great worship. Always great praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. This psalm has as bookends worship and praise, high exaltation of who God is. And in between, it explains why this is. Why this should be who we are and what we are about. He begins and ends the psalm essentially the same way. He's exhorting himself and he's exhorting us to praise the Lord. The opening note and the last lingering echo of worship. What's driving David's desire? I think there are three things driving David's desire for the psalm. First of all, he knows how easy it is to forget God's benefits. He knows how easy it is to us become forgetful about the things of God. Secondly, he knows how easy it is for us to presume upon God's grace and love. And thirdly, he knows how easy it is for us to neglect God's worship. So he exhorts himself. He's, he's trying to exhort and drive himself, compel himself to those heights of praise and worship of God. And it serves the same purpose for us. So let us rehearse this morning with David. First of all, he says, remember God's benefits. Remember God's dealings. Remember God's ways. If you consider a new job offer, the first question you're going to ask is, how much does it pay? <laughs> That's a businessman right there. How much is it going to pay? You want to know what the wage is. But it doesn't stop there, does it? If you're going to work for ABC Corporation, you want to know also, are there any benefits? What are the benefits? What are the perks that I might expect working for this company? Things like insurance. Do you have health insurance? Do you have life insurance? We want to know about stock options. Am I going to be in the position where I could gain some stock options. What about child care options? We're a two-income family. We have to figure out something to do with the children. Sick days. <laughs> sick days. How many sick days do I get? I'm planning on being sick a lot. <laughs> what about the possibilities for advancement? What about kind of resources will I have that will help me succeed in my job? Is there going to be a pension plan? Vacation days? Holidays? Always very important, right? Can I expect to receive bonuses? 
Am I expected to be on site every day, or can I work remotely? As David considers his relationship with God, he realizes that it's important to consider the benefits. Now, they aren't superficial benefits like we might enjoy in this world and our jobs. But they're very important benefits. First of all, he says, remember these benefits that God forgives all our iniquity. All your guilt is forgiven. God declares it so, but isn't it hard to believe it to be so? Lord, I believe you've forgiven the lies that I told my parents when I was a child. I believe that you have forgiven me for losing my temper this week. I believe you've forgiven me for gossiping. But what about those serious sins? Not that those are not serious. But what about those that have greater consequences? What about when my gossiping destroys someone's reputation? Maybe unintended, but it happened nevertheless. What about when your lying creates an opportunity for you to steal credit from someone else's work? What if your discontentment and greed makes you lust after what belongs to another person, a spouse, or a car, or a possession that they may have? What if it just won't go away? What if your anger causes you to revile and hate another person? Often we think God's forgiveness is like the way we forgive, which we forgive with conditions, don't we? <laughs> Sometimes we have difficulty not only turning loose of our own offenses, we have a lot of trouble turning loose of someone else's offenses. He forgives all our iniquities. All. There's nothing He holds back. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cover all our sin. Secondly, He says He heals all our diseases. We know that God is the great physician, right? At least we give lip service to it when we're facing health issues, challenges. God is faithful. He is the one who will bring about healing. It's just that God doesn't always heal in the way that we prefer that He heal. It doesn't mean that He's going to restore our flesh now, but He may restore us and make us whole through resurrection life. Or He may choose to allow those physical ailments to persist and use us in our suffering for His glory. Not just physical ailments, but also emotional, spiritual weaknesses within us. Our doubts, our fears, our anxieties, our loneliness, our griefs, our sorrows. God says He is master over all these and brings healing and restoration. What about when He doesn't make it disappear? I mean, that's healing in our minds, right? And our expectation is make it go away. Set me free from it. Maybe God's plan, like it was for Paul, is to say, my grace is sufficient for you, even as you walk through this. That others may see my glory sustaining you, even as you suffer. He heals 
in His own ways. He redeems your life from the pit. Many people have trouble believing they're in a pit. Most people, if you ask them, will tell you they think they're basically good people. At least that's what we keep telling ourselves, right? We think ourselves to be pretty good. We consider ourselves to be worthy of good things. But sin is diabolically deceptive. It blinds us to our true condition. It's like being diagnosed with cancer, but you still feel fine, at least for a while. God created us in His image to manage His creation for Him, for His glory. But sin has corrupted our hearts, made us selfish, made us arrogant, made us prideful. It's put us in bondage. We're enslaved and powerless to change. God redeems us, He says, from the pit. He makes us new creatures. He gives us a new future, a new destination. He crowns you with love and compassion. He crowns you with love and compassion. Whatever does that mean? We think crowns, He puts something on our head, but the word crowns here means surrounds. He surrounds you. He crowns your life, in essence, with His love, which is steadfast and unchanging, and His mercy. You know, Jacob was a deceiver. He was a con artist, always looking out for his own interest, always looking to get a leg up on the competition. In fact, he was such a deceiver that he ended up in a conflict with his brother and he had to flee in order to preserve his life. He ran off to some of his mother's relatives and there he worked with Laban. And both of them were just alike. They were constantly trying to cheat each other. But he went away, worked for a wife, then another wife, because Laban cheated him the first time. He didn't get the wife he thought he was getting. The next time, he got the wife that he wanted, and he had two, two, too many wives. But through it all, God was working in Jacob's life, and God was blessing Jacob. And when he came back, he went out alone. He went out alone and frightened and miserable. He came back a different man, blessed. God literally had crowned his life with many, many blessings, even in the midst of being so undeserving. Ultimately, God crowned his life with spiritual blessing and love. You remember that he and his family, as they developed, they grew Famine hit the land, and Joseph, who had been sold into slavery, was already in Egypt. And the Scripture says that once he discovered his father was still alive, and he sent back for them and brought them down, there were 70 people in this family entered into Egypt, where they would end up in bondage. And years later, 400 years later, when God emancipated them from their slavery there in Egypt, they came out. At least hundreds of thousands strong. Some people estimate as many as two or three million strong in population. God crowned His life with blessing and fruitfulness that is extraordinary. 
extraordinary. We are born into this world as descendants of Adam. We are rebels. We are enemies of God. We are bankrupt, guilty of treason against the king. Yet in Christ, you are crowned, surrounded by God's steadfast love and mercy. And there are no limits on it. It's inexhaustible. He satisfies your desires with good things. Not always with things you think you want. (laughs) In fact, it rarely equates to things I thought I wanted. He gives me new wants. He provides those good things. When I was a boy, I was like most boys. I don't know if they still do this. Maybe Mike can speak to this or Luke about your boys. Maybe they're not old enough to know. But, you know, I was infatuated as a young kid with sports. And and i that's all I lived for. Recess. Sports. That's what it was all about. And in my mind, I thought that it's just all about the want to, you know. If you wanted it, this is what you could do. We live in America, right? Anything you want, you can have. I thought I was going to play college football and professional football and that I was, going to, I was going to be famous. Well, you know what? There's one little obstacle in that dream. I wasn't big enough, fast enough, mean enough, hungry enough. Now, you've had your dreams. You know what they are. And sometimes we find out that we didn't have enough raw materials. We didn't have the things that we needed to accomplish that dream, to attain that dream. What do you do? Sometimes we fall into a pattern of resentment. Sometimes we resent God because He didn't give us what He gave someone else. Sometimes we're disappointed by it all. Sometimes we sulk. Sometimes we rebel. Sometimes we're defiant and we try to find another way to get it but I can tell you honestly after all these years all these years later and a few aches and pains as the body has gotten older I'm so thankful God didn't give me what I wanted I'm so glad that God gave me what he knew I needed he gave me a heart for him he gave me a passion to grow and to serve Him. Now it took some time for my heart to come into alignment with God's plans and gifted. But ultimately He proves to be faithful and kind and generous and give good things. Satisfies you with good things, He says. So we're to remember. We're to remember God's benefits God's dealings with us. But secondly, David tells us that we should cultivate gratitude for God's abounding love. Cultivate gratitude for God's abounding love. Look what he says in verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I'm mindful of when we just referenced the people of Israel, Jacob's family, ending up in bondage in Egypt. 
And you remember when God came to Moses and called Moses out and said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You remember what he said to Moses? He said, I have heard the cry of my people and I am coming down to deliver them. I have heard the cry of my people and I am coming down to deliver them. This is a continuing theme throughout the scripture. Judges 3, 7 and 9, 7 through 9 says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the land of Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathim. Eight years, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Judges 3.15, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. Lamentations 3, 57 through 58, you came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. On and on it goes. This is who God is. He is a loving and gracious God. He doesn't have to deliver. He doesn't have to redeem. He doesn't have to lift us out of the pit of despair. He does it because He loves to do it. It honors His name. It glorifies His name. The Lord works righteousness and justice. He made known His ways to Moses. He acts, he, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's quoting here from Exodus 34, where after the people sinned against God with a golden calf, Moses interceded for them, and God tells him how he responds to his people. I'm slow to anger, full of mercy, abounding in mercy and love. He's merciful. He's gracious. He will not always chide. What does this mean? He will not always chide. He will not always come against. He will not always belittle or scorn. Not like fallen human vessels. We love to nurture our grievances, don't we? We love to nurture grievances and keep them alive. I remember a situation many, many years ago, almost in another lifetime ago, of a man that, a, a brother in Christ, who said he'd been offended by a brother, and that brother was standing there in front of people, said to him, I'm so sorry that I've wounded you. I'm sorry that I have offended you. Will you please forgive me? And the guy looked at him and said, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready for that yet. Well, I guess we have to give him credit for honesty. But that's not the way that we are to treat one another. Because that's not the way our God treats us. 
His grace, His compassion abounds. He will not always chide. His mercy is just. And it's just because of His abounding love demonstrated through Christ. I want you to hold your finger here in Psalm 103, but I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we reference this a lot, at least I do, I think of it a lot, especially at this time of year, as we're thinking about God's plan for this fallen world, for us as fallen creatures. Paul is writing, he's writing about the law, the promise, he's talking about the descendants of Abraham and those who are in Christ They are Abraham's real offspring, heirs according to his promise. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. God condescended to take on human flesh. That's what we're talking about during Advent. We're remembering, we're rehearsing that God entered into this world. He deigned to take on human flesh. The Creator took on flesh as though created. He's fully God as if not man. He's fully man as if not God. We can't explain it any better than that. There's no mixture of natures. There's no dilution of natures. He was man in the form of Adam, able to feel, able to suffer, able to grow weary, able to grow hungry, able to be our sympathizing high priest. He was holy God without sin, able to pay our sin's debt, not just for one, but for all who put their trust in Him. He was able to die in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says He made Him. God made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. His covenant love is immeasurable. These are the lengths that He went to. Romans 5.8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, the psalmist writes, so is the vastness of His steadfast love for those who fear Him. As high as the heavens are above, so is the steadfast love of God. God demonstrates and manifests His covenant love for us while we were sinners. Undeserving, Christ came and died. 
Back to 1 John 4. Verse 8 says that God is love. Verses 9 and 10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, There is no greater love. There is no greater love than that a friend would give his life for his friends. John 15, 12, just prior to that, he said, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Do as I have done. Have the same love. John 3.16. That's the one we love to quote, isn't it? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the creation, the creatures that He had made, that He gave His Son to redeem it, to be the ransom, that He might restore it to its intended glory. This is what we should focus on at this Advent season. This is what we should dwell on. Often we get swallowed up in the trappings of Christmas. Often we lose sight of God's astounding, abounding love that He rescued and delivered us. You know, giving gifts is fine. I have no problem with that, especially as one who enjoys receiving. Right? That business about it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, I'm not sure about that, right? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, just seeing if you're awake. Giving gifts is fine, but focus on the ultimate gift that comes from God. The gift of His Son. Family and traditions, they're wonderful. But adoption into God's redeemed family. This is the point of the Incarnation. Parties are fun, but the coming marriage feast of Christ and His bride, ah, that's a gathering worth coveting. His atoning work removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Try thinking on that sometime. As far as the east is from the west. You know, you can start on this globe and you can start going east, and you can keep going east, and you never stop going east unless you stop. As long as you're moving, you're going east. doesn't matter where you end up, you're always going east. Same thing in reverse order if you're going west. East never meets west. As far as the east is from the west, He separates our sins his covenant love is like a father's compassion to his children. Our days are swift. Job says like the shutters, the shuttle weaver's uh, shuttle. Going so fast, back and forth. Life is moving so quickly. Like the grass and the flowers blooming in the spring and summer, quickly they fade and disappear from the landscape. Like a heavy frost that soon melts and is no more. But, but, he says, the love of God is from everlasting to everlasting. 
It never leaves. It never fades. We can't afford to place so much emphasis on the temporary. Moth and rust destroys it, Scripture says. The most precious things in this world, Scripture describes as building materials in the world to come. Streets of gold, fine gems comprise the walls of a city. What's he saying? He's saying the things that we invest so much time and energy pursuing in this world are just raw materials for building in the future, if even that. This world and all of its riches is rapidly fading, but the steadfast love is going nowhere. Deep and abiding compassion of our Heavenly Father is from everlasting to everlasting. Remember God's benefits. Cultivate gratitude for His love and His grace. And David says, when you do this, it's going to animate your worship. It's going to animate your worship. Bless the Lord, O you His angels. I, I love this statement. I wonder why is he, is he exhorting the angels to bless the Lord. They certainly can bless the Lord. They certainly can worship the Lord. But you know what? They can't worship the Lord like you can worship the Lord as His redeemed. They've never been fallen and restored. They don't know what it's like to have the Son of God come and be a ransom for their deliverance. Yes, they can proclaim His greatness. But they can't experience what you and I have experienced in Christ. Bless the Lord, O my soul, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Do you struggle with worship? Do you understand worship? Can you define it? I think we have sometimes wrong ideas about worship. We have incorrect views of worship. Sometimes we get absorbed in this idea that worship is really about us. It's about what I prefer, what I want, what feels good to me. That's the enemy. The enemy is moving you away from authentic worship when you start feeling and thinking this way. <laughs> Listen, if your thoughts and your ideas and your desires begin and end with you, listen, it's not about worshiping God. It's about gratifying me. Right? Yeah. Music style, instruments, formal, informal style of dress, coats, ties, shorts, flip-flops. I'll tell you what I tell people about apparel at church. They say, I don't know what to wear. I said, look, all, we have one dress code at our church. We expect you to wear clothes. Just wear clothes. Aesthetics, big tech, minimalist, traditional. Bright lights, low lights, pews, theater seating, fast and furious, serious and reverent. Worship's not about us. 
Worship is for the Lord. It's remembering, rejoicing, and proclaiming who God is. And He's told us in His Word how we are to do it. Our prayers, our singing, our giving, our preaching, our scripture reading, our responding, it's all for His glory. It's all for His honor. Now listen, I want you to hear this carefully. I don't want you going out of here thinking that, that I got some kind of weird view on this. God will never be outdone. He's always more of a giver than a receiver. It's the way He works. As you give your worship and glory and honor to God, listen, He always blesses you in the midst of that. But the problem is, we make that our priority. I come to get blessed. That's backwards. I come to bless the Lord, O my soul. We gather together. Because we can do it together in Christ. We bless the Lord. We honor His holy name. And we'll never leave less blessed because we've blessed Him. It's not something that you're taking out of yourself and depositing never to see it again. It's an attitude of honor and expression for Him. David makes this point here that we should be intentional and active to remember God's dealings and rehearse them. And when we remember, God will stir our hearts toward Him. When our hearts are stirred for Him and we are grateful for all that He is, for all that He does, all that He shares with us, then He animates our worship. You will not be able to contain the worship. Bless the Lord. This is what's going on with David. He started out in a good place. He remembers all the benefits that God has showered upon him. He cultivates gratitude for who God is and how God is blessed, not just in his life, but all of God's people throughout history. He's nurturing and cultivating that gratitude. And his heart is stirred and inflamed and Elevated upward. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All you angels, bless Him. Join in the chorus and let us bless Him together. Father, we are grateful and thankful for Your goodness, for Your generosity, for Your greatness. You are a holy God, deserving of praise and honor. Lord, we are weak creatures. We need Your enabling power. We need Your Spirit to fill us and to uh, empower us to praise You in a way that's pleasing and truly honorable to You. Knowing that as we do that, that Lord, we will be blessed. We will know the joy of intimacy with You, fellowship with You, and with one another. Make it so. Make it so. Lord, as we think about Christ entering this world, leaving the glories of His throne to come into this world, to live among fallen sinful creatures, and to do it while perfectly obeying Your law, only to die, undeserving death, 
undeserving of condemnation, but taking ours upon Himself so that we could be freed from sin. Lord, may this stir our hearts and souls to praise You and to honor You. And may it be so through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.